one year ago this week. One hour before our closing party of youth group, my doctor called and said that I had cancer. That was difficult, for sure, because we had almost 100 kids coming, and uh, the party was going on, and I wasn't necessarily partying on the inside. In the next morning, my wife and I were leaving on vacation, so I, I was focused on getting ready and going, and I'm just like, I'll just do whatever the doctor says, and, and I get going, and uh, while we're on our flight uh, to, up to Boston and then to travel up the New England coast, I told my wife. I found out later I should have told her sooner. <laughs> <laughs> so... We were sitting on the bay in Boston waiting for a ferry boat uh, and, a, and a tour, and, and my wife was kind of looking at her phone, and we were kind of thinking about, uh, she was looking at the type of cancer I had, and uh, it was a very sobering moment uh, because it, it became really heavy on me for the first time that I might not be standing here a year later. And uh, that was some serious uh, thinking. And, and the whole vacation we had, it had kind of like this cloud hanging over it where we're, we're seeing our time as precious and, and, and yet uh, thinking about uh, waiting and waiting that we wouldn't even know until after the surgery how bad it was. And as you know, many of you uh, journeyed with me uh, for eight months of chemo and all of the stuff that went with it. And I want to say thank you to all of you who stood by me during that dark time who encouraged me, who sent text messages to me. That's what church family is all about. And I, I just want to say thank you for that. And, and, and I'm deeply appreciative. And you've heard me say, maybe if you've been around, that the joy of the Lord is my strength. And our topic of our, our ser whole sermon series is stand firm with joy. And, and when you encounter something like that, and some difficulty in your life, the, the biggest factor that makes all the differences in the world is not just uh, the family that surrounds you, the church family and the people that encourage, encourage you, but also that you've made standing firm with joy a habit so that it's just what you do when things are not going so well when it's dark around you in your own life and you're discouraged and you're going through difficult circumstances or just the world around you is, is, is a difficult place and you're having a hard time just bearing up with it. Let's look at the title for the sermon today and it is, Our Joy is God's Light in a Dark World. I'll open in prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. I pray about that all the time. I use the word opportunity in prayer. But Lord, the opportunity to be here, the opportunity to live, breathe, the opportunity for everybody in this audience to sit here, to live, to breathe, to learn, to, to be better people, and most of all, to be people who shine your light to the world around us. Father, if there's anyone here who has not experienced your light in their life, who is walking in darkness and, and is overwhelmed and feels, feels a difficult experience, Lord, I pray that today this message might speak to them through your Holy Spirit, that they might know that you love them and that you're calling them out of darkness and into light. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 
Well, just to kind of take this idea of our joy is God's light in a dark world, I want to let you know that this, this sermon title is actually a title or a theme for the whole Bible. And just to give you a couple examples of many, I'd like to turn to 1 John. For those of you who took the 1 John class, you uh, may remember this, and the youth group went through 1 John as well in the spring. Uh, this is the message starting in 1 John 1, 5 that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. This passage ties the joy that we have in coming from darkness into light, coming from not knowing God to knowing God, and that shared joy is called fellowship. And that's what we share in community when we come together. Even if you're on the other side of the world and you meet a, uh, somebody who doesn't, uh, isn't a, or is a believer, you'll have that in common, that, that fellowship that goes together. So the other verse here that is a key verse is Ephesians 5, 8 through 9, and it says this, For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And here, along with a very, very many places throughout the scripture, we see those who follow Jesus described as children. In fact, family words are big words to me in the Bible, and the, and the more you're looking for them, the more you'll see them. The more you'll see the things pop off the page, brother, sister, children, uh, and, and Father God is a family word. In, in, in this passage in particular, the whole idea of, of that we are beloved. So how do we, the question that we're looking at is how can we have life-giving joy during dark times, either personally or just living in, in a dark, uh, disturbing situation? How do we have joy in that situation? Well, of course, Paul has a, a lot of experience. 14 times in the, these four chapters, he talks about joy. He talks about rejoicing. And, and where is he? He's in prison with a death sentence. And he's saying, I am filled with joy. I am here, and, and I see uh, this joy overflowing in your lives. And we'll see that as we work through this passage. And in this passage, there are three things that I would like to point out that can help you find joy when you're in a dark time. First, in God's work and his pleasure. Second, shining God's light. And third, living with the long view. First, let's look at starting in Philippians, yeah, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. We're going to look at this about two verses at a time. In the first two verses, 12 and 13, our main idea is find joy in God's work and pleasure. Now, the opposite is, is true as opposed to finding joy in our work and our pleasure. But can't we find joy in our work and in pleasure? Well, it comes down to two things that we're going to look for in these two verses. Alignment, how is our heart aligned? And secondly, what kind of joy are we in pursuit of? So 
This right away starts with, therefore, my beloved. Therefore, referencing the verses that we covered last week in the sermon, uh, the verses about that we need to fight for unity and that we need to imitate uh, the humble servant, Jesus, and that we need to worship the exalted king. These are the main ideas that we talked about in the sermon last week, and they flow right into this sermon with the word therefore. But then Paul, through the inspiration of God, uses the word beloved. Uh, and he had four different options of the way he, to say love, but he chose the most intimate option to say, you are dear ones to me. You are as close at, to me as or the same as family, and I, and I love you, beloved. And so this idea, therefore, my beloved, I'm going to leave at the top of every section of verses that we're going to look at because this is the context. It is based on what Christ has done, and it is based on who we are as family, uh, as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you don't understand what that means, family, there are plenty of people here who could talk to you about what it means to be known and believe in your heart that you are a child of God, saved from sin, and, and able to live with him forever. So let's look at this dearly beloved idea and think about the, the thought, can you or can we call each other beloved? Do we? Do you know people here at church that you would call beloved? I do. I definitely love how love you have, the love that you've given to me in, in during a difficult time. But if you're here and you're just kind of attending and you're just kind of on the surface popping in to uh, hear a sermon and popping out and not really finding community, you, you have to go there. The teens are kind of like uh, really difficult sometimes in, in getting to know each other because it's, it's awkward, you know? Uh, and uh, so I make it more awkward. Uh, I, I, I walk up to somebody who's new and say, hey, how are you? And then I grab a few teens and I, I, then I'm like, I got to go now. Uh, don't leave her alone. Don't let her be sad and lonely. Uh, and, uh, and you're responsible. And then I go over and uh, maybe find somebody else new. But it's the same for adults. Some of us are good at awkward, and some of us aren't. But all of us need to be seeking out those who may be alone. And maybe you're coming to church and you're alone. What do I say to teens who say, I have no friends, nobody likes me at youth group. And I said, well, there's probably somebody else in the same boat. Why don't you be their friend? Look for somebody who's standing by themselves and, and go to them and, and be their friend. And more than likely, it'll reciprocate in one way or the other. So as a church, if we really want that community, that bond, that beloved feel, we have to initiate. We have to engage in relationships outside of this service. We have to engage uh, uh, in our homes. We have to engage in restaurants. We have to engage in the workplace. God is calling us to engage in his community loved. But there is a problem. Sometimes we're living a mile wide and we're an inch deep. And, and we're just wondering, uh, when we're just feeling empty. First Samuel chapter 12, God is uh, speaking through Samuel, and Samuel is his prophet who, is, who has talked to David and all these other people, and he's nearing the end of his life. And he's saying, you people, you've messed up really bad, uh, but if you love God with all your heart, it's going to be fine. 
But if you turn aside to empty things, things that have no value, things that bring no purpose, then they will be empty things. That's like the biggest ir irony of scripture. Uh, and do not turn aside after empty things because they are empty. But the truth is, is in our culture, we are often pursuing empty things. You have this mindset that if I have this, if I have a college education, if I have this particular job, then I will be filled. And then when we get there, we feel empty. Sometimes we get into a situation where we have what we wanted. All our goals are there and, and, or, and then they were taken away. And then we're like, where is, where is my hope? Where is my identity? And this is God's call, that our identity is in Christ, our hope is in Christ, our joy is in Christ, and we do that together in Christ. And God is calling us to do more than just sit in a pew and listen. God is calling us to community. So this passage goes on, and, and it says, my, my, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. And, and sometimes people are like, obeyed, there we go, Christianity, it's all about obeying, it's all about following commands, if you follow the rules, then you'll be accepted, and if you don't, you'll be rejected. Well, that's not exactly what it means. Uh, so uh, obeying, the way I describe it to the teens, is, is it's not something we do to get God's attention. It's not something we do to get God to forgive us. It's something we do to say thank you for what he's already done. So if you're having a hard time obeying, perhaps you're having a hard time realizing the price that was paid. It, therefore, saying thank you isn't a high priority. And so we have to return to the gospel over and over again to remind ourselves what we know to be true so that we follow the Lord in the things that are most important. So we obey. And another thing I, I talk about is how God, God is our creator. And he created us within, uh, and he gave us certain design parameters. And they're all laid out here in, in his owner's manual, so to speak. And when we function outside of those parameters, when we start pursuing empty things for joy, and then you wonder why uh, you're feeling empty and why you're feeling alone, why, why, why you're sick and nobody came to the hospital, it's right here. We, if we follow his commands and we do that together, then we are full of together in our lives and we journey together as beloved the next one is, it talks about working out your salvation and with fear and trembling, and that's a double doozy. Work out your salvation? I thought you can't work. I thought Titus 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the, or sorry, I'm, I'm quoting the wrong one, uh, that, that uh, you uh, believe, uh, you, basically 3, 5 says that we trust God and that his mercy is what saves us, not our works. There we go. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, uh, we are saved. So, and you're like, well, wait, then, but this verse says that we need to work out our salvation. No, no. Let me explain. Uh, if you go to the gym and you don't have muscles, can you work out? No. And, and if you go to the gym and you have small muscles, can you work out? Yes. What will happen? Your muscles will get bigger. The same is true with salvation. If you don't have salvation, you've got nothing to work out. But if you do, God is calling us to get stronger. 
And the difference is, is a couple years ago, I discovered that my muscles could actually do more than my joints. Uh, and, and I'm like, uh, and my brain is saying, yes, bring on the weight. You can do this. You can be buff like, like you never were. And, uh, and, and, and so I'm, I'm, and then all of a sudden my elbow starts hurting. My shoulder starts, my hip starts hurting. And, and, but the difference is with salvation, it, it's none of that ever happens. You're always able to grow until the day you stand in God's presence. You keep working out your salvation. You keep learning to understand it. You keep striving to grow deeper and to learn something new like we're doing this morning. So work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Well, I don't like the fear and trembling part because I, I'm a worshiper of the God of love in the New Testament, not the God of hate in the Old Testament. And uh, so I don't like the fear God part. I just like the love God part, right? Well, if you are rejecting God, if you are disrespecting him with your lifestyle, if you are saying, talk to the hand, God is a God of justice and he brings justice and you should fear him. But if you are saved, if that means that if the blood of Christ covers your sin, then no justice is coming. You, when God sees you, he's going to see the price that he's paid, not the sin that, that you've lived in, that darkness that has been a part of your life that he came to pay the price for. So we stand in God's presence and we are free from that. And, and therefore, we are stand in awe of him. And that's what fear means. Fear means to stand in awe. Fear means to have profound respect. If you're a kid this morning and your parents are saying, hey, we need you to do this, and you're disrespecting them, and you're, and you're uh, disregarding them, and you're just dissing them in any word that goes with this, uh, uh, then, uh, then it's not going to be a happy place place in your home. You're not going to experience blessing. And, and that's what uh, the Old Testament is, interestingly enough, says. Uh, in the Old Testament, in the, the fear God part, you'd be surprised how many times fear is combined with joy. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 14 says, blessed or happy is the one who fears. What does that mean? That means when you're not disrespecting God with how you live, when you, when you are not uh, attitudinally maladjusted permanently against God and constantly fighting against him with your life, then, then you're not going to experience the blessing. So yes, you would live in fear. But when we live covered by the blood of Christ, then we live in profound respect. And that's a happy place to be. In, in Psalm 43, in, in fact, the whole first part of that chapter, it talks about that we have a song of praise, and that song of praise is the reason why we would fear God. So praise associated with fear. Isaiah 11.3 prophesies that Jesus would come, and when he would come, he would delight in those who fear the Lord. That is quite awesome because that's what this verse says next. It says, work out your salvation for, with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So it's God who's doing the work, and any work that we can be happy about or praise and have joy, it's, it's what God is doing. It's not what I'm doing. 
So remember I said there's a couple things that we need to talk about, and that is, is where is our heart aligned? Well, whenever we talk about God working together for his will, when, when you want to know what God's will is, then you align your heart with God's heart. Then you will know God's will for your life, and you move forward. If you're aligning your heart with God's heart in your workplace, then your work should have joy. Even in the midst of difficulties and all of the politics and drama that goes on at work, if your heart is aligned with his heart, then in the workplace, you can have joy in that. And, and then secondly, what type of joy are you pursuing? It says he works in us for his will and his good pleasure. So the origin of our joy is God's joy. When we bring a smile to God's face, then it brings joy to our heart. And that's a totally different kind of joy. It's an eternal joy that lasts forever. It's not happy, happy, happy. Uh, live on the surface. Uh, be warm and fuzzy to everybody, but never really get to know anyone. And then when dark times comes, you're sad and alone. And that is not what God has called us to be. He works his pleasure. So in summary, we find joy when we obey God in awe as he works in and through us for his pleasure. The second set of verses, find joy shining God's light in a dark world. And it starts off in, in verse 14, uh, talking about grumbling and complaining. And this is one of those commands that we should follow. It says, do all things without what? Grumbling and complaining, that you may be blameless and innocent. So first, uh, this verse points inward to the church family. And, it, and just like the verse that was before that said fight for unity, now it, he's saying part of my design for you is to live without grumbling and complaining because that's what we're good at. And we need to move beyond that. And when, the, when people on the outside are looking in, they need to see what is most reflective of Christ. So we constantly work on that because this is our natural tendency. Why? We work on that inward so that outwardly we can be blameless, that, that the world can see that these are people who are honest, these are people who are sincere, these are people who are working on their faith and, and growing in their faith. And when we do, we are children of God, the next phrase. It says, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. If you want to study the Bible and study a theme through the Bible, and you want to see God's heart for all the world and for all humanity, you see, study the word nations. God's heart for the nations all over Scripture, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. But you want to take it to the next level? Study generation and study children. God's heart is for the next generation. And the older generation always looks at the younger generation and says they're twisted and crooked. <laughs> Plato pointed that out. We have no corner on the market of twisted and crooked these days. Just study human history. Humans have been doing horrible things to humans for all of life. Without God, that's where we exist, in darkness instead of light. So we are called out of darkness to live his life so that others might know and not be caught in that horrible place 
wondering what, what is truly of value and assigning value to, to things that don't really matter for eternity. So why would we do all this? 1 Peter 2, 9 was read earlier in the service. Let me read it again, and it says why. It says, but you are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, the theme of light and shining God's light again. This is the same as what Jesus talked about over in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, it says, You are light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in, in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they might see your good deeds and give glory to you. No, sorry. Uh, and give glory to your Father in heaven. The glory is never our own. The light that we shine is never our own. And that takes a load off because we can shine even in our perfection. We don't have to, imperfection, uh, we don't have to keep trying to earn and, and do. We just live and be honest with where we are. We put our dirt on the table and say, I'm struggling with this. You want to you wanna know how the best way to have an accountability partner? Ask somebody to be your accountability partner who doesn't know Christ. Say, hey, I'm trying to be a good Christian. Will you help me? Uh, so, you know, you know what Christians are supposed to believe. And if you don't, read the New Testament that way or the Old Testament. That way you can ask me questions and you can say, I don't think that's what the Bible says. That thing you're doing right now, that sassy thing. Uh, and uh, you're not a very good Christian. It bring accountability into your life. And that's what Paul says that when he talked about obedience, that you obey now and even in my absence, that's, that's life. When we, are, when we are imperfect together, proclaiming somebody else's light besides our own. So in summary, we find joy in God's work and pleasure when we shine God's light to those whom God desires to adopt as his family. And then the last two verses. Find joy living the long view. There are three principles I'd like you to take home as we read these three verses. The treasure principle, the worth principle, and the shared principle. Look with me. It starts off, and Paul always keeps referring to the day of Christ. And here he, here he is again, and he says, you want to hold fast to the word of light. That was the previous section. That's how we shine light, by holding, mm, got a dry spot there, by holding fast the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, the long view, he's looking ahead, he's in prison under sentence of death, and he's looking to the day of Christ. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. If you look at how Paul writes, God inspires him to write. When he talks about running, he's talking about his personal journey, uh, his personal pursuit of, of God's future and far future. 
but also when he talks about his labor, he's talking about his ministry. And the same is true, that his ministry is pointed toward the future. He, he might be uh, pouring his life out, like he says, uh, in the next race and, and getting no results. Even if I am poured out like a drink offering upon the sacrifice, sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice. So Paul is like, hey, if, if you... Uh, if I feel like I am, oh, thank you, man. <laughs> um, that was a, it's, it's getting worse. <laughs> ah. So if, if I just breathe, you know, that would help. Um, it, so if, if we are, if, if we are pouring it all in, helping others to know Christ, and you're not seeing the result, well, that's God's work. We pour it all in, and, and we make sacrifices for one another, but we don't make sacrifices for one another in order to feel good about how awesome we are. We make sacrifices for one another to show how awesome God's work is in us and through us. So we look forward in this long view, the treasure principle is looking beyond, even as parents, parenting so that our kids know how to parent our grandparents. That's how I say it in the, in the parenting class. But in youth ministry, demonstrating Christ and planting seeds so that someday those seeds, as they're watered and grow, and we might see the fruit and we may not. We may be sacrificing a lot and thinking that it's not paying off, but then it's all about us. God will pay out what he wants to pay out, and he'll do it when he's going to do it. And that takes a load off of us. So when we sacrifice together, this is the worth principle. Is it worth it to make sacrifices for each other? Yes, it is. Is it worth it to, to uh, let go of, of some personal time in order to go to somebody's house and make a meal for them and spend a little time with them and when they're in their dark place? Yes, it is. Is it worth it to come to church and hang out with each other and get to know people who are on the same path? Yes, it is. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me, the last of this verse. And that is the principle of sharing. We share God's joy together as God's joy is manifested in us and through us. And it doesn't have to be put on. It doesn't have to be fakey, fakey. It can be, I am dealing with death. And when I was there, I was like, well, at least I got good health insurance. Uh, and, oh, and at least I got good life insurance, too. My family's going to make out like a bandit. Uh, and, and, I, I, and I'm thinking that because why? Because that darkness is not something that I'm worried about. Because I, I, I'm approaching light. When I live, no matter how long I live, I'm approaching eternity with Christ. And if he calls me home before I even get to that surgery back then in last, last July, then so be it. So be it. God has called me to stand firm where I am and stand firm with joy. And the more I do it, the more, I, uh, more it is a natural part of what I do in, in all times, good times and dark times. So the summary here is find joy in God's work and his pleasure, shining as God's light and living with the long view. When I started youth ministry in 1995, the Newsboys had this brand new song, and it was called Shine. 
And uh, the song goes like this. Shine, make them wonder what you got. Make them wish that they were not on the outside looking bored. And then it went on to, get, to quote the Matthew passage that they might see your good deeds and glorify God. And I'm like, okay, so, and, and I really like that song. But the more I think about that song, I don't want everybody to think that coming to church, it's the party here and, and we're all happy and everything's perfect and we don't have any sorrows. We don't have any sin in this place. We don't have any hypocrisy here, do we? That's the church down the road right? But we are. We are all of that. And so when those who are on the outside, that we need to invite them to authenticity. We need to invite them to, to walk with us in our struggles. This is our opportunity to shine God's light. When we're hurting the most is when we have the best ability to reflect God's light because we got nothing, this week was record, this week, this year was record attendance for the youth ministry. Record attendance since I've been here. And I was, I would, had my knees knocked out from underneath me every two weeks. And that's God's way of saying, you know what? I love it when you help me out. I love it when, when you set aside your light and the light is mine. That brings me pleasure and you give me pleasure when you point toward me, even when you're unable. And God did amazing things. It was incredible. We want to invite people to us. We want to invite people to journey with us. We want people to know that if I'm here, I'm, I just won't be loved. I will be beloved. I will be like family to, to people. And, and there are people who are coming here searching for that. And we need to be outwardly focused. We need to have our hearts wrapped around the Lord and completely owning what he is doing in our lives so that we might say our joy is God's light in a dark world. Father, I pray that as we uh, move forward with this week, as we move forward with this month and this next year, as we have life and breath, may we reflect your light and not our own. Father, I pray that, that you would speak to those of us who all of us have empty things that we live for that, that need to be set aside, things that are stressing us out, things that are, are making us feel in the dark and not loved. Father, we pray that you would through this passage, speak to our hearts time and time again this week. Shore us up when we're broken down. Point your light to us when we don't see the path. And God, as we sing this song, this joyful song, My Lighthouse, a kid's song in many ways at Camp Kids Place over the last few years. Father, we recognize what this song is saying, that you are the light in that you are the one who is shining in the darkness. And any shining we do is a reflection of that light. And we pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.